0: 2017 edition of don't let it go unheard and this is where we discuss news politics and culture from an american exceptionalist perspective i'm your host here amy peekoff welcome on your monday afternoon thank you for joining me those of you over here at the blog talk radio chat room hello 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 go over to the blog if you'd like to check out what I plan to talk about today. My blog is don'tletitgo.com, don'tletitgo.com, and the title of today's show, Facebook Feminism and Fantasy News. So I've got another one of these alliterative titles for you, and there's a number of stories collected under these. I have a couple other F words that we'll talk about as well that I added in sort of at the last minute. Oh, good. People are saying they're able to get sound at the beginning of the show, uh, even those who listen live a little more easily. So that's good. If Blog Talk is improving the interface in that way, that's nice to know. In any event, if any of those topics appeal to you, Facebook, feminism, and fantasy news, anything else in the program notes at the blog, you can call in and tell me what you think, 760 888-5817. Eight 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 five eight one seven. Again, that's 760 So let's go ahead and dive in. And the Facebook topic was actually inspired because the New York Times has done another one of its kind of bigger, more deep dive analysis pieces on Facebook this week. And as always, it's, you know, it's something that's intriguing. So many of us, spend quite a bit of time on Facebook and you know some of us are ambivalent about it sometimes you feel like you should quit and there's a couple different reasons for that because a lot of us suspect that the content curation at Facebook is let's say not consistent with our ideologies and that can be frustrating and I think the other reason is that people in general know that they probably spend too much time on Facebook and they let it interrupt days. You know, when I was paying more attention to this and not uh, giving in to the temptation of the Facebook interruption, you you make yourself aware of statistics like every time, supposedly, that you switch your focus, it can take about 18 to 20 minutes to get back into the level of deep concentration you were in before so every single interruption cost you so these are the reasons that you feel ambivalent of course for me now trying to be you know a talk show host social media is one of the things that I need to do as part of my job so that's a rationalization in a way for the time that I spend on Facebook but I understand everybody else's ambivalent about it for different reasons as well, and there's other great value that you get, of course, connecting with friends, meeting people around the world who share your values, um, sharing, being able to share. A lot of people will actually use Facebook almost as a family scrapbook, or you know, a scrapbook about their dog, or what you know, whatever it is that they're posting about. I I've, I loved being able to, for example, I had a um, you know, kind of a trip photo album that I put together for a vacation and stuff for friends. And it's really nice. It's nice to be able to use it in that way. The interface is very friendly. So they have a good product. So what's going on with Facebook? What's the new thing? If you remember last time we talked about one of these deep dive articles with Facebook, it was the headline was something like, can Facebook fix its own worst bug? And it's worst bug, according to them, was that it allowed people to, connect with others all over the world who, for instance, shared their particular ideology. And it encouraged and reinforced people in their different ideologies instead of bringing people together as much as what Facebook wants to do. So that was the bug, as the New York Times also characterized it. For example, people who are admirers of the philosopher Ayn Rand can all find each other and realize that they don't have to feel as isolated as people in their various workplaces, depending on where you work, want to make you feel. If you're in academia, for example, you feel like a pariah if you are an admirer of Vine Rand or any sort of non-leftist. So that sort of thing, Facebook used to say it was a bug. Now, what's this piece about? This piece is about Facebook trying to expand, you know, and it's got billions, whatever. I have to look at the latest stats on how many users it has. I'll, I'll find it as we go through the article again, but you know, it's trying to expand and get even more users, get everybody in the world connected on Facebook while at the same time governments are starting to realize the power of the internet and of Facebook in particular and are clamping down with all sorts of regulations and so Facebook is finding itself trying to expand while navigating and it's about that challenge. And it talks about, you know, the article goes through at length different places in the world. So first there's Vietnam and then that China where Facebook's been trying to break into China and China has officially banned Facebook. I guess some people manage to get on Facebook from China, but it's not a legal thing to do. Officially Facebook is banned from China and Zuckerberg has been courting China, not just because he's got a Chinese wife and and now he's got two daughters with her. They just had their second daughter in August, not just for that, but that's you know probably contributes to his interest. But China is a huge potential market. So that's what this is about. And overall, when I'm reading this article and, you know, for some detail, you have to go through it. But I have two main concerns and if you guys have thoughts on this then of course well actually not two main concerns i have a concern and then i have a question so the concern is that facebook is so you know just dedicated to having basically everyone in the world on facebook that i get these orwellian big brother type concerns about facebook particularly with zuckerberg having potential political aspirations and everything so Should we be concerned that Facebook is big brother? Second is a question. And here's the question. Let's, you know, put aside, forget, you know, just say, okay, we, and I, half of me wants to say that Zuckerberg is this earnest person um, that really does just want to help connect the world. And yeah, he's, liberal in his politics and stuff, but he also wants to be rich and he wants to provide this service. And, uh, you know, I think that there, those interests can coincide. So, you know, connect the world, bring everybody together, kumbaya and everything. Okay, good. Suppose that's the, the case, but look at the strategy that he is employing as discussed in this article and in particular talking about China He has been courting China so heavily, and he has, with respect to both Vietnam and China, expressed a willingness to work within oppressive legal regimes and, you know, in effect, uh, censor content, work with the government to report people who put content on Facebook that is critical of the government. So if you criticize the government, Facebook is willing to report you there. So, for example, the, the opening section is on Vietnam. And at the very beginning, they talk about the fact that Facebook, or at least, okay, the Vietnamese government has said that Facebook had agreed to help create a new communications channel with the Vietnamese government to prioritize Hanoi's requests and remove what the regime considered inaccurate posts about senior leaders, inaccurate, right? Now, what, um, you know, at the very beginning, they're talking about this one kid was arrested because he'd written a poem on Facebook. He published it on Facebook called A Mother's Lullaby. And that poem criticized how the communist country was run. There was one line that read, One century has passed. We are still poor and hungry. Do you ask why? It sounds like it would be a good poem to read. I don't know if we'll ever get to read it because probably they took it down. His arrest came just weeks after Facebook had offered, they say, to Vietnam, a major olive branch. The head of global policy met with a top vietnamese official in april pledged to remove information that violated the country's laws so there's facebook in vietnam operating and saying that they are willing to censor to remove any information that violates the country's laws they're working with the government then uh, you know like i said at least according to them they are willing to, you know, remove this. And, of course, an inaccurate post. So that would be probably a violation of the law. If you publish something that is inaccurate about senior leaders of the government, then that would violate the law. So certainly it's believable that Facebook agreed to remove that if they've agreed to follow the laws in general. What's inaccurate, asks Rob in the chat room. Exactly. And, you know, this is what I was talking about last time, when I was mentioning attack watch and, you know, having Donald Trump go up there and criticize media outlets for saying things that are inaccurate about him and stuff. When we see someone say something just completely blatantly inaccurate about Donald Trump and ridiculous, then you say, Oh, well, we you know, what's the problem if he's saying that people should get fired for saying inaccurate things because it starts there with, something that we all agree is obviously inaccurate, but then who gets to be the arbiter of what's inaccurate? And this is why slander and libel law in the, you know, in the common law has kind of a wide berth for what you can say about politicians. You have a huge amount of latitude in what you can say about the, you know, about politicians before you're liable under uh, slander and libel laws. So, You know, here in Vietnam, it's exactly the opposite. They have strict control. They just say, okay, this is inaccurate. It has to at least be taken down. This kid was arrested for publishing a poem critical of the government, and it appears that Facebook is helpful with this. So, to me, this is a huge concern. Facebook might think, well, if they work within the system, these kind of systems, if they work within the system, that in the long run they can create more freedom and openness for everybody that it's gonna help tear down these types of oppressive regimes if they can just get in there under the radar. But I think that if they give the benefit of Facebook to everybody or, you know, some of the benefit to Facebook everybody, and they do it while kowtowing to an oppressive totalitarian dictatorship that's censoring I don't think that it can have that effect. I think all it can do is perpetuate the current regime. It just props it up. It, uh, you know, it, it prolongs the pain and the agony. I, I think at least there's a significant danger, and that's really my question. What do you guys think about that sort of policy? Because Facebook is deliberately pursuing that policy, of, you know, saying that they will enforce you know, remove anything from their network that violates the country's laws. They will agree to censorship in order to have business in those countries. Now, John says in the chat room, he says, couldn't his model for working within oppressive regimes easily be flipped and applied in semi-free countries like here? So can you spell out more about what you mean? Because, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking about the fact that, for example, Ayn Rand, you know, she lived here in the United States, and she was working within the system. She, for instance, believed that involuntary taxation, our current taxation, our current income tax system in this country is immoral. It is immoral for the country, you know, our government, to take money from us by force and spend it. On all these things, particularly things we don't agree with But they are taking it from us by force Right now, that is our Income tax system in the United States Rand thought it was immoral Now, she Paid the taxes, and she was Very, very, from what I understand Meticulous about following Every single tax law to the letter She wasn't trying to look for the you know, Biggest loopholes or all the stuff She just paid it, got it over with Didn't want to stress about it why she was going to work within the system to try to change the system and overthrow this whole thing. And she knew, or at least this is, this was her view that if she was behind bars for tax evasion or whatever, that she wouldn't be effective in doing this. She decided she's going to live her life, but pay the taxes. Is it the same sort of thing? She decides she's going to work within the system, pay the taxes, follow the rules. Is this just another idea of the same thing? Does Zuckerberg Does he know something that we don't, that he's going to be able to open up these regimes that he's going to, I assume he doesn't want to perpetuate these totalitarian dictatorships. I assume that this censorship is not even in his own business interest, right? Because what does Facebook want you to do? Facebook wants you to interact with content all day long. You know, when somebody's wrong on the Internet, Facebook is so happy because they know you're going to keep coming back and arguing and arguing and arguing. Each time you come back to respond to the jerk on the other side's, you know, latest contribution to the debate, every time you come back, they put an ad in your face and they love it, right? They want you to interact with this content. So they would love more and more content to be shared there. It's Anathema to them to have to take content down. Every piece of content is something that somebody can debate with. Rob in the chat room says, "So Vietnam is joining the trend of place, uh, places that enjoyed a measure of greater freedom after economic reforms is now reverting back to authoritarianism." You, my uh, my friend there, you know more about the history of Vietnam than I do. Then. If they are indeed reverting back to authoritarianism, are they doing that? Or is it just they want to allow economic freedom, but not freedom of thought? They think that they can have this productive engine of an economy and keep everybody working for Big Brother. Right. Can that actually happen in any event is Orwell's 1984, the, you know, the more accurate dystopian novel or is Ayn Rand's Anthem the more accurate dystopian novel? We could have that debate someday. Who knows if you can actually have more economic freedom while having this, you know, the the thought police and everything else going on. I don't know about that, but again, my concern here is that Facebook might be propping up these dictatorships I don't know if it's even going to have a chance to do it in China So far every effort By Zuckerberg to woo The Chinese has been Rebuffed Do you know, I don't know if you even knew this That Zuckerberg Offered to um, China It's uh, They call it president or prime minister I forget what they title their Supreme dictator from hell um, Whatever his name is Zuckerberg Z, I think, but his name. But anyway, Zuckerberg offered him the opportunity to actually um, uh, give a name to Zuckerberg's child. <laughs> um, now he's got two children. I can't remember if it was first or a second. But he actually offered the chance to name his child, and the guy refused. Actually, which I guess is good. Yeah, 2015. Ask the Chinese president, they do call it president, dictator, whatever, uh, whether Mr. Z might offer a Chinese name for the soon-to-be firstborn child. So he offered the the privilege of naming his child, and it still didn't work. He couldn't get Facebook in there. So imagine he's done that. The other thing he did, there was this big photo op where he was running in Tiananmen Square out in – just horrible, disgusting pollution and everything that they have there. So at great risk to his health, he's out there jogging with a whole group of people, no masks, no nothing. Big photo op. He has tried and tried. He's tried to even develop sort of, you know, a very limited application that wouldn't be Facebook, but he used there. And from what I understand, he actually deployed something under a different company name. There as well, a different type of. So he's been really trying to break into China. He hasn't really broken into China. He hasn't offered a scaled down version of Facebook. Anybody who's been on Facebook from China is figuring out a way around the the country's laws because it is banned in China. Would it be good for Zuckerberg to offer a scaled back version of Facebook to make people think that they're getting Facebook, even at you know the permission of their grand dictator there just gene in the chat room is is kind of grossed out by zuckerberg i yeah i i would never offer a disgusting dictator the opportunity to name my first child it just kind of gives it it's it's really slimy And, and is it is it a business thing now of course think about this though his wife is chinese so is it that Secret dictator in hell. You like that better than president. Um, Did I I say dictator in hell or uh, dictator from hell? I think from hell would be the the phrasing that I would always use because we used to talk about when there were just certain phrases we'd use when I was a teenager, maybe in college, this or that from hell, something from hell, a lot of stuff from hell. So, yeah, something from hell, uh, dictator from hell is what we use. Mo in the chat room says, I'm not giving up my iPhone because Apple supports net neutrality. No, I'm not giving up my iPhone either. I'm complaining about it, though. I'm certainly complaining about Apple. (sighs) Is the supporting of net neutrality exactly the same than that as that? Mm, You know, Apple, for instance, right? Apple has in China agreed to take certain apps down off of the the page, right? Off of their, um, you know, the App Store, right? Apple has taken out of the App Store certain things that the Chinese government don't like. Oh, Rob says he's got to leave. He's got to listen to the recording later. Isn't it great? We have technology. We have recordings. Thanks for joining us for a little bit, Rob. And thanks for the story that I'm going to be sharing with everybody later. Anyway, those are my questions, right? So, I mean, do you share my concern that Facebook is going to turn into Big Brother? Do you think that Facebook's strategy, if you don't have a concern about it being Big Brother, do you think that Facebook's strategy of kowtowing to totalitarian dictatorships and agreeing to censor content on its network, help Facebook, I mean, mean, excuse me, Facebook is helping those governments track down people who publish prohibited content, maybe helping get them arrested, is Facebook doing a good thing by this? Or should Facebook say, hey, if you're not going to let us have just complete unadulterated Facebook in your country, if we can't offer your service, you know, offer our service the way that we want to, should we leave? Now, mind you, if Facebook did that, if Facebook just said, either we can offer all of our services the way that we want to, or we're not going to be in your country at all. If Facebook did that, there would actually be a huge swath of the world that they couldn't operate in. Uh, now, I've, I've given you the egregious examples of real strict censorship laws, right, that they've got in China and, and Vietnam. As I said, Facebook's not in China, not legally. It's in Vietnam but the thing that it's doing to try to be in Vietnam is really, as far as I can tell, morally questionable. But think about this, if Facebook did have that abs- we could call it absolutist policy that said, we want to operate exactly as we normally do, that you know the ideal way that we would operate. We want to operate there at, like that everywhere. otherwise we won't be in your country. If it did that, like I say, there'd be a huge swath of the world they couldn't now here's why listen to this they say according to a review by the new york times more than 50 50 50 countries around the world have passed laws over the last 5 years to gain greater control over how people use the web so it's not just oh well in you know vietnam they have special things and so facebook has to do a little bit of a moder- moderation there One of the things that this article talks about at some length is in Europe. In Europe, they protect the privacy of Internet users a lot more than they do in the United States, using all sorts of default rules and, and things to protect users of the Internet. So, and this will sound pretty creepy to you, what Facebook likes to do, and I'm You know, I don't think they do this by actually reading your messages, but Facebook will look at the messages in your messenger. You know, messenger, Facebook messenger is just WhatsApp. WhatsApp is that message service that Facebook bought and converted into its messenger. What they do, actually, I don't know if they, they they probably already farm messenger everywhere. I think that they also farm WhatsApp. So if you use WhatsApp separately, they will data farm that. And if they can connect you to your WhatsApp account, then they will put in front of you on Facebook ads that are relevant to what's going on, on, on you know in, in your WhatsApp discussions with your friends. It's done by keywords and stuff, so it's not like they're actually reading your messages. It's a computer seeing what's there. Now, I had the experience on Facebook because I was messaging about ice cream one time. I was eating ice cream and I was messaging with a friend about eating ice cream. And then suddenly I've got these um, like weight watchers. I can't remember exactly what it was ads being flashed in front of me on Facebook. It was pretty darn funny. Uh, so I was you know, joking about this. Like, is it, but it, that's probably why. That is probably why those ads were there because I was talking about eating ice cream. It's pretty exciting. So um, in any event, book is not allowed to, farm in certain places in Europe. They cannot data farm the way that they do in other places. I think even in the United States, we're protected to a certain extent only because Facebook has, for tax purposes, a second headquarters in Dublin or something. And so because of Dublin having jurisdiction over Facebook in a certain way, then we in United States get some of the European default protection. Now, ideally what would you do ideally you would let the market decide all this and you wouldn't have necessarily governments saying what facebook can or can't do you you would you know facebook could have for instance a free service and a premium service and the free service you would allow all of your data everywhere to be farmed so that ads could be flashed in front of you and for the premium service you'd say no i like more privacy i don't like The idea of computers scanning my messages with my friends and throwing ads in front of me, it's really creepy. And so you pay whatever amount per month and you'd have the premium service. Uh, And maybe they'd say, well, then you have to have ads just based on your posts or something. You know, it could happen. You have more and more privacy for more and more money. Something like that. Just Justine says, ice cream leads to Weight Watchers ads because Facebook knows what's best for you. It gets really creepy. And most of the time, I've trained my brain to just tune out these ads. And even when you're scanning, for example, through a type of feed, I, I, I think this happens on Facebook. Yeah, it certainly happens on Facebook. But it happens for sure on Twitter, right? So you'll be going through your Twitter feed, and it happens on Instagram as well. You're going through your feed and as you're looking through the content of the people you actually follow, stuck in the middle there will be a tweet or an Instagram post or whatever from something you don't follow at all but is being quote promoted. And somehow my brain will know which is the thing that I'm following and which is the promoted stuff and Then it's like I give less attention to the promoted stuff automatically unless I look at it and I say, okay, well, that's actually something that interests me. And then maybe I get a little distracted. So it's not it's not 100 percent, but I do have a sense. It's not like I look at this and I go, oh, yeah, that's something I follow and I treat it exactly the same. My brain does not treat it exactly the same. It gives a little bit less priority to that quote promoted content. But wouldn't it be nice to be free of that stuff? It would. Would you pay extra to be free of that stuff? I don't know. And would they even offer it to you in that way? Because don't they make more money when they can expose you to ads than even if you paid that fee? It does get a little creepy though. It really can get you know, a bit creepy The the type of ads that are put in front of you. Especially the ones that say you know, like they'll they'll flash in front of you the thing that you had thought about buying, you were browsing on some retail site and you were looking at something, maybe you even stuck it in your cart, you decided, no, I'm not gonna buy that thing. And then everywhere you go for the next week, they're telling you, Did you forget something in your cart, or maybe you were interested in this? No, go away. If I if I didn't buy it, I'd go back. It's it's good to do that, by the way. It's good to If you're not sure that you want something or it's a big purchase, if it's a retail store, I've actually done this before, I'll put an item on hold. And then I'll wait until the next day and say, okay, did I really want that thing? And if I really wanted that thing, then I'll go back the next day and I'll get it. Same thing with these, you know, the shopping carts on the Internet. I'll just leave it. I'll go back and get it if I really want it. If I really want it, I'll go back and find it. Much better. Smarter way to do it um, Okay, so those are the two things and I didn't get much in the way of contribution. Some other people seem to be a little bit skeptical. they agree, they share my concern. I, I really do wonder and and then I wonder, and I have actually a hypothesis about this. Where would you draw the line? Where do you work within the system? So for example, if I was Facebook, I would definitely work within the system in terms of the privacy things. Ideally, do I think that the free market should handle all of those privacy contours—the, you know, the sharing of information with Facebook? Yes, I think the, you know, that they should leave it to a, an in agreement with the individual user. But would I, if I was Facebook, agree to work with the governments of Ireland and other European countries? And just go ahead and say, okay, I'm not going to be able to farm the data in WhatsApp with users with this country. Yeah, I, w- I would do that. Where would I draw the line? For me personally, it's a censorship issue. It is this issue of freedom of expression. And I'm, you know, I think that that would be also Rand's reason for saying, okay, I'll go ahead and pay the taxes. I will follow the tax law meticulously down to the letter. I will pay those taxes, even though I think that they are immoral. I think taxation is theft. She would have loved those taxation is theft memes. I'm pretty sure she would have laughed. Nonetheless, she paid them and worked within the system. She criticized taxation, but paid them. And I think it's different. Why? Because it has to do with freedom of expression. If I think that, you know, to me, I don't know what she would say, but to me I would love to have that discussion with her is facebook doing the wrong thing by operating in vietnam and agreeing to hand these people over or censor content according to the regime's laws. People for Free Speech is Alliance says Josh yeah so you agree with me there in in the chat room yeah that's what I that's what i would say i would say that this would be wrong and that Facebook should not be bending over backwards to try to get into China if the terms on which it could operate in China are similar to those in which it's operating in Vietnam. I think in that way, it's doing more harm than good. And as I said, I do wonder whether Apple is doing the right thing. Do I think that Tim Cook is earnest when he says that he thinks it's good to operate in China in a certain way? And that he thinks he's going to eventually open China more, you know, up more to more freedom in the long run? Yes, I think. And I think it's possible that Zuckerberg also believes that, that he's doing the best for these people who are suffering under these dictatorships in the long term. Uh, he might think that, but I think potentially he's wrong. And, and this vision of somebody being dragged off to jail because of something that he published on Facebook. And that Facebook's cooperation with the Vietnamese government helped make that happen. That is really haunting. That is really haunting, as is, like I said, my concerns about the Big Brother issue. So that's the bulk of what I have on Facebook. I've got something else that I'll go ahead and hit really quickly right after a break. I'm going to take a little musical interlude here. everybody i am back and as i said the title of today's show is let me pick up my little f title going right facebook feminism and fantasy news and in the whole first segment there we were talking about facebook and, and this deep dive piece that new york times just put out facebook faces a new world as officials rein in a wild web you know the title that New York Times is giving there is not helpful. This idea that there there needs to be this sort of regulation. Of course, Facebook I mean, excuse me. New York Times is probably very much in favor of some of those privacy protection rules that they've got going in Europe. And I don't necessarily think that very you know broad brush default rules is the way to go with privacy. I'd like. The market to be able to decide more. But the, again, you know, that sort of thing is a conversation we could have over wine, beer, whatever, you know, have a big debate about what do you do with those things? Do you say, okay, we have a default rule assigning the information, the ownership in the information to the individual user, and then we create a series of hoops that Facebook would have to jump through in order to be able to? contract away that information? Do we say that that information can never be contracted away? Because that seems to be the sort of default rule that they've got going in Ireland and other places in Europe. I would tend to disagree with that. So in any event, like I said, a couple concerns with Facebook that it is enabling vicious dictators through the policies, the censorship policies that it's agreeing to in Vietnam and that it might agree to in China. That'd be bad news, and then I have those big brother concerns. I've always got those. It's funny I've got the privacy concerns, and yet I don't want what what uh, Ireland's doing either necessarily. Now, what's the other Facebook story? The other Facebook story is something that we're going to end up, you know, kind of looking at in, in the longer term, and it's that the whole Russia connection. You know, the fact that Russia may have done some things to interfere with the 2016 presidential election. This is turning out to not be fake news or, well, I'm talking about fantasy news later. By the way, I was going to call it, the third thing was going to be fake news and then my friend Benjamin said fantasy news. No, no, fantasy news is perfect for what I want to talk about in a little bit fake news is probably more appropriate as a title for the Russia story because, you know, was it fake? Is it completely arbitrary? It seems not to be. If you look at this news piece that I've given you from New York times, it is well-documented and Facebook itself had put a a statement out saying that Russians had purchased like hundred thousand dollars worth of ads. These fake news pages that they've set up on Facebook, they had set up these fake pages One of the pages actually used photos from, I believe, a Brazilian family to create a fake Facebook account. So they actually just stole somebody's personal family photos to set up a fake Facebook account and then spread a whole lot of just inflammatory content around. And and they talk in particular, I think it's in Idaho, this one particular community that they targeted with a whole bunch of anti-immigrant vitriol and tried to stir up the community. They actually spread news about a fake meetup about you know, immigrants and stuff, the immigrant problem in this place in Idaho and everything. The Russians apparently were doing this and it's a well-documented piece. We're going to talk about it more because there's more to this, the the Russia problem as time goes on. I'm just starting to get educated. Because here in the United States, a lot of people ignore this. And they think the whole Russia thing, especially people who are the non-leftists who listen to my show, they think the whole Russia thing is fake news, you know, that it's just pro-Hillary. You must be pro-Hillary if you think that Russia interfered with the election and that there's, you know, that Russia is even a problem at all. It's It's not fake. It's not fake. So start looking at that stuff. It's Tied to Facebook, of course, and again, I I tend to think that Zuckerberg, as wrong as he can be, probably is earnest that he's trying to do these things in earnest. I disagree with him on a lot of things, but yeah, and, and you know that's another issue we could talk about too. What is Facebook's duty to report some of this stuff and to cooperate with the government? We don't know exactly to what extent it is cooperating with our government, but I surely believe that it should cooperate to a large extent with our government once there's evidence of Russia trying to interfere with our elections that Facebook needs to you know when there and especially when there's fraudulent accounts and everything if there's fraud it's not like these people have rights that are being violated if they set up fraudulent accounts facebook needs to give that information over so that's more on the facebook but let's let's talk about feminism Stuart in the chat room says, I'm anti-Hillary, and I think Putin interfered in the election. Yeah, exactly. That's that's where I am as well. That's exactly where I am. Trump said the whole Russia thing is fake news, so it must be true. <laughs> it's just, she, that it, that now we're going to get into the fantasy part at the end, right? We're going to get into Trump's fantasy news in the, in the last segment. But let's talk a little bit about feminism, and let's talk about Hillary. Hillary is a great transition here because... There's another deep dive piece at New York Times. I have to thank New York Times. You know, they have they put some interesting stuff out there. Even if I'm going to criticize them and I'll nitpick their headlines and here I'm going to nitpick a false alternative that they're setting up. But it it nonetheless, they have these pieces that provide a lot of valuable information. The journalists are doing their job and they're getting me thinking. So a little kudos to New York Times. This is from the Sunday Review headline The World's Most Powerful Woman won't call herself a feminist and is about Angela Merkel and the overall thrust of the piece is that Merkel succeeded where Hillary Clinton failed because Hillary tried to be the president here but you know how is it that Merkel got to be the um, what is what is the title they don't have a like Chancellor or something right in Germany what do they call it uh, da, 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 da. at the beginning, Angela Merkel, yeah, Chancellor. Okay, you did. It. I had it right. I'm just doubting my ability to come up with the the pronouns, the proper pronouns for the leaders at different countries around the world. I need to be a better talk show host and know exactly what we call these people. So we call them president in China. and We call them Chancellor in Germany. Let's get it straight, Amy. So what did she do, right? They say that Merkel didn't go out there and play the big feminist. She does not call herself a feminist. She was apparently at this meeting, uh, some sort of a UN meeting, and they asked women to raise their hands. I think it may have been Ivanka Trump who asked people, raise your hands if you think of yourself as a feminist, and she did not raise her hand. She doesn't call herself a feminist. They are saying that because she uh, grew up in the eastern side of Germany, that she was used to for example women all women working and she also got used to the idea that you just sort of shut up and do your job and wait for opportunities to get ahead and you're not very loud about it that somehow working within that sort of system helped her be this way Uh, so so the idea is she was not out there about saying oh I'm going to be the first woman and isn't it great and you know, they've asked her questions, one of the very things towards the very end of it, they, uh, what was this one? Oh, yeah, so nobody even thinks of her this way. So there was a nurse from Dresden, who was asked whether she thought that Merkel's being a woman had influenced how she governed in Germany. And this nurse from Dresden asked, well, what kind of a question is that? Like, Like, it's just a stupid question. So people just don't, her that way. And in fact they were talking about that they sort of see her as a gender neutral person. Uh, she is not a mother. She happens to not be a mother. They of course they sort of I guess call her mother. There's a word in, in German that I won't even try to botch pronounce that means mother. And I guess early in her career they were using it to refer to her in some sort of a demeaning way, but then people turned it on its head and used it in an affectionate way that they look at her this way. The whole thing of the New York times is, you know, it's all this, you know, what happened, what happened, right? What happened? Why didn't Hillary become president? Well, maybe it's because Hillary didn't behave the way Angela Merkel did. If, if, you know, Hillary was just quiet about the fact that she was a woman and not making it about being the first woman president and this big song and dance and, you know, a whole carnival and everything in in celebration of the fact that she's a woman running for president. Maybe if she didn't do that, maybe it would have happened. And so it's, like I said, this kind of deep piece where they go through and they, you know, they talk about, for example, that she purposefully dresses the same way all the time so that they won't talk about her clothes. And the only time that they've ever talked about her clothes in any of the news articles was I guess one time she went out to an opera or something and she was wearing a low-cut dress and everybody, wow, you know, it's very different. Normally she's just wearing some sort of a bright colored jacket and pants. And, you know, she doesn't wear any, you know, shoes that'll draw any notice, nothing that they can talk about. Yeah, they say the low-cut dress that she wore to the opera in 2008 is one of the rare mentions of her clothing in the press. And she got a bob and, you know, just very plain and not, you know, at all, you know, sort of expressing her femininity in any way. Early in her career, they say she was mocked for frumpy dressing and frowsy hair. A car rental company ran an ad depicting her with windblown hair in a convertible saying that she had finally found the right hairstyle. And then what she do, she adopt adopted this Bob. That she has and her, her unvarying uniform, they say, is a bright jacket, chartreuse at a recent rally, and sensible pants. And then she, apparently she joked that in one of her first government jobs as an environment minister, she realized that people were staring at her shoes instead of listening to what she had to say. So her idea was that she would make sure that anything that she wore was unremarkable hair unremarkable, clothes unremarkable. And that was a way that she was going to, I guess, get ahead. Clinton, she was out there. She was a little bit more flamboyant in her dress, I guess, but a lot of people were really making fun of Hillary's clothes with good reason because Hillary, although she was trying to wear things that I guess were sort of stylish, she doesn't have the figure for it at all. So she was wearing these big kind of weird boxy shape stuff. And people were trying to say that the things that she was choosing to wear were stylish or, you know, and of course she'd wear different colors and of whatever this garb was that she'd do. But, you know, she was the opposite. So he, so here are the two options according to New York times, right? You could be Merkel and you can, you know, just be very quiet, take advantage of opportunities where they are, work hard. Don't, express your femininity in any way, you know, wear clothes that are just nondescript, don't do anything special with your hair, you know, have it be the same all the time. And don't even talk about the fact that you're a woman, just go there and do your job and take your opportunities to get into power. And then the alternative, what's the alternative? The alternative is to be Hillary and to go around and champion the fact that you're a woman all the time, Uh, you know, even talk about being the mother and the grandmother and all those things that she did and write books, you know, it takes a village to raise a child and all this. And they're saying, okay, well that fails. Right. Now what if there was an alternative though, right? What if there was an actual alternative to these two and one that you could say, you know, we could talk about the term feminism as well whether it would be a good term to use for yourself, would you call yourself a feminist or not? I've had this discussion a little bit on the show before because of my appearance on Tucker Carlson, when they mislabeled me a feminist, I've never called myself a feminist, but I was saying I could see that you might want to reclaim the feminist label, as long as that label would not be associated with those who were looking for special privileges for women, you know, that, as long as you're not looking to violate the rights of others, supposedly on behalf of women, for affirmative action and other other sorts of things, I think that would be wrong. Today, it would be pretty difficult to call yourself a feminist, at least in the United States, because as I've seen, the United States feminist movement, it is put together in this horrible package deal with a lot of yucky policy, uh, immoral policy, policy that wants to violate the rights of other people. On the other hand, I don't know for example what the full agenda for feminism in France is. I do know that I like some of what the, you know, the French feminists have done. And I've talked about that many times. I put a link in the program notes again. Some of the French feminists, they go to a Muslim conference, right? Because they know. The French feminists know that the biggest danger to women in the world right now today probably is posed by Islam, the religion of Islam. Uh, it treats women horribly. Those people who take Islam seriously treat women horribly. And, you know, in particular, ISIS is a big foe of the French feminists. And the French feminists have, you know, gotten themselves, the, they get them all, I was going to say, dressed up, probably made up and everything. But I think they also do wear masks when they do this. But they go topless, Um down the shamsili say protesting isis and then there's also the topless feminist showed up at um you know this muslim conference and apparently this one woman wrote across her chest i am my own prophet and then goes up on stage at this conference This muslim but these these women are awesome because they know where the true danger to women is are, are they also similarly involved in efforts to violate the real rights of other people for the supposed interest of women to get women higher wages by law or affirmative action by law? In the, in the chat room, Stuart is educating me. He's telling me that there is a group, Femin, that is unusual in being a feminist agru- a feminist group that opposes militant Islam. So then my question is, do they not only oppose militant Islam, you can call it militant Islam, I'll just call it Islam, Islam as they take it seriously. There are people who take it seriously and there are people who don't. Um, fundamentalist Islam, yeah, those are the topless protesters, says Stuart. Okay, so they're good. What I want to know is, do they have a whole other agenda, too, that consists of promoting rights violations? And if they are, then... No, I wouldn't want to do that. Or I could say, okay, well, you know, I'll join with you guys for one of your anti-Islam, anti-ISIS events, and otherwise, you know, we can, we can part ways. But, you know, I would say that in France, the women probably already feel a lot more liberated, and they don't think that their main agenda is... You know, fighting these sexist men around the world and stuff like that. It's its bad. So so going back to this piece, right, because what this piece, this New York Times piece about Merkel seems to set up is this alternative that you can be like Merkel, you can be like Merkel, or you can be like Hillary and Of course, if you be like Hillary, you're going to lose, and this must be. This must be part of what happened. What happened to Hillary is that she wasn't enough like Merkel. So what you need to have, if you want to succeed politically in the United States, according to New York Times, perhaps, is to be, in effect, this sexless woman who just puts her nose down and prepares. One thing I liked about this article is they talked about the fact that Merkel, she knew that she would just be very prepared for every, you know, little duty that she had in her work, like she was giving a presentation or whatever you go around. She They talk about in here, if you have a presentation to give, and you're going to, uh, you know, propose a certain idea in that presentation, a certain policy in that presentation, that you could go quietly around to all the different people who are going to be present Or a lot of, you know, the major players who are going to be present at that presentation and try out your idea in advance and hear what their objections are going to be so that you can already be prepared with the answer to those objections when you're going to give that proposal. So I love this, right? And what do I see myself doing here in this show? What I try to do for you guys, I mean, I don't think it's just because I'm a woman. I think it's just because I feel like I need to do this. But I... Put together all my list of program notes because I'm a woman. I joked recently that it's because otherwise I won't be able to keep my train of of thought if I don't have my organized program notes. There was this thing out there about the way that women tell stories and the way men tell stories. And as it is right now, I'm I'm on one of these tangents, right? Uh, They show you a nice great train track for the way that men tell stories. You know, it's just in a straight line. They give you all the essence and they don't go off on these little tangents and give you all the elaborations and interesting tidbits along the way. And the way women tell stories, all these winding, you know, here's the side track over here. And then it comes back into the main line again. And then it, what, you know, winds out this way and cut, and it was just this tangled web of different train tracks and sightings and connections and whatever else that is, that is how at least I experience telling you guys stories. And yeah, so I have my program notes. I am prepared. It helps to keep me on track to have this list of things that I, I want to get through before the end of a show. Um, and it's also that I just, I do, I feel like to give you a quality show, I want to have, a lot of material, even more material than I need prepared to do a, a good job. So I like that part of it. I like the the preparation part. I like the being quiet about your identity as a woman part, that you don't need to go out there and say, hey, I'm going to be the first woman leader of so-and-so. I don't think that that helped Hillary at all. On the other hand, I think it's a false alternative to say, okay, well, you also have to just suppress all evidence of your femininity that you can't dress in an attractive way. You don't want to dress in a tasteless way. Yes, it's perfectly appropriate if you're going out to the opera as a woman in any job to wear a sexy, even low-cut gown. You know, you shouldn't be falling out of it. You know, I would there'd be guidelines. But yeah, be a woman. You can also be a woman. Now, do you have to have Children, you know, in order to be good, no, maybe it's, it would be very difficult to be the leader of a country and also have had a family and be a good mother and all those things. It might be very hard to balance all that. Who knows? But if you manage to do all this, you can just be yourself, right? And you can be a woman and you can do all that. You don't have to be A gender-neutral person who doesn't wear anything stylish ever, and that's not part of what it is to succeed. And yet this is the formula that the New York Times seems to be putting out there. What I do like, though, is that you don't necessarily have to label yourself as a feminist in order to succeed as a woman, especially given the package deal that feminism is today. Just go out there, do your job, nose to the grindstone, be yourself. And, you know, don't talk about being a woman, just be a woman and talk about, you know, your job, talk about the, the policy that you think is important and right. And that, you know, that's the way to succeed. If you're interested in other things about feminism, and we're going to continue to talk about this a bit, I'm hoping to have another conversation, for example, with Haley Mary, who's the lead singer of the Jezebels. She talks about having called herself a feminist in the past, and then now eschewing the label. And when I got to speak with her the day after Trump was elected, when they happened to have their concert in Los Angeles, you know they were kind of worried about the, the morale of the audience and everything. It turned out to be unfounded. The show went great. But, you know, she was talking about the fact that she had not supported Hillary, that she thought the election of Hillary Clinton would have been bad for For women in general and for the feminist movement. And I found that fascinating. So that was pretty cool. So we will talk about that. I also have in the program notes a, a tweet from Ben Shapiro. I don't know if you guys follow. I don't follow media really closely this way. I get a lot of this sort of thing from Ben Shapiro, but it is part of being immersed in what's going on in the culture. And Shapiro is excellent at this, you know, staying on top of politics and also having some stuff that's going on in the culture. I think in this tweet, he's talking about Travis Ratajowski, 2020. I believe Travis in that tweet is referring to this guy who was on Fox News recently talking about something about boobs, like, you know, boobs are fine or whatever. And a lot of people were criticizing him. It's like, you can't talk about boobs and Shapiro, you know, he's this religious Jewish guy, but he's very cool on so many issues. Of course you could talk, talk about boobs. Come on. Of course, this is no big deal. And now he found, you know, he follows on Twitter, some of the, um, you know, some of the top cultural stories as well. Um, AFP news agency. There is a model who slammed the magazine, Madam Figaro, for Photoshopping her curves away. She says, well, what's wrong with boobs? What's wrong with boobs? Why not keep them there? So (laughs) here Shapiro, he's saying that someone who mentioned boobs on Fox and a model who, um, you know, says, Hey, what's wrong with boobs? Boobs are fine. Why are you photoshopping them out of my pictures that they should run for president? Right. And so this is the sort of thing. How is it that femininity is bad? Why can't women just be feminine and then also be treated as equals based on the job that they do? That's what I would hope for in anything that I'm doing out there that I could just, you know, go out there and, and be myself and, not be regarded as, you know, just an object. Now, you know, it's kind of awkward to talk this way, right? Be self-conscious and everything, but you don't want to just be regarded that way, but you also want to be able to make yourself look pretty or, you know, think you look pretty or sexy or anything else and then not have your performance on your job be discounted for it. So here I am, I'm all self-conscious talking about this, doing a good job, while also being feminine and would i ever embrace the level of you know the label of feminist would i embrace that label it would have to be reclaimed in in a certain way definitely would so we're here at the top of the hour i'm going to go ahead and grab another little musical interlude it seems to be these are also when i'm sipping water it's the only time i stop to take a, a breath and breathe i've got a collar that i'm going to take after this break as well so go ahead and hold on And we'll talk to you after this. Back and now I have Discussed two of my three topics I'm reasonably on track even as a Woman I've managed to stay reasonably on Track with my program notes As I said they're over at the blog at Dontletitgo.com we've gotten through Facebook And feminism I'm going to Take a call and then we're going to go into the third Which is the fantasy news Segment but here we go You're on the air who's this
1: Hello uh, John Kenny in Carson City hi Amy hey
0: John Welcome back how are you
1: Thank you. Uh, very good. Uh, say, um, regarding Hillary's uh, wardrobe, uh, did you mention, uh, well, what she wears are Mao Tung jackets. I mean, they're full of sequins and everything, but it's basically the Mao Tung look. And she puts her arm out. This woman is a far, far leftist uh, revolutionary, and she's not very intelligent either. But uh, that's the theme. It doesn't have anything to do with feminism. You
0: see what I'm saying? No, I know. And, and, you know, the people have been making a heyday out of her book, and I haven't really touched on it very much at all. But she does have in there, and I, I saw this running around on Twitter, a misinterpretation at the very least of Orwell's 1984. Yep and yeah. I did you hear me talk about that before on the show you know the, the the freedom that was apparently at risk or you know actually the freedom that had been wiped out in 1984 was the freedom to listen to the leaders who could offer you valuable advice yeah <laughs> Not, yeah.
1: It's a, yeah it's a complete reversal of the theme I mean, yes. if if, a, if, a, if an eighth grader wrote that, to me, I'd send that kid back to special ed in a little school bus, I think.
0: Oh, you know? unbelievable. And this is in print in however yeah. many thousands of copies of Hillary Clinton's. I feel like I should almost just go grab a copy of it, you know, just so it's... But I think Hillary Clinton's going to be forgotten in history pretty quickly, and it's not well, even going to be a big yeah, issue. It's
1: it, it, it is amazing. Nobody caught this, nobody corrected her on this. I mean, it must have been proofread. Do all her proofreaders readers, are they all completely ignorant or something? I don't know.
0: You start to wonder whether it was sort of, you, you know, and I talked about this before when I brought this up, a Ministry of Truth-style rewriting of Orwell's 1984. That she thinks yeah. she can achieve that. It's ridiculous. There's no way any of us are going to stand for it.
1: Right, right. Now, uh, about uh, feminism, uh, I remember a few months ago, Gloria Steinem was on with Bill Maher. Bill Maher was knocking Islam a bit. And -hmm. Gloria Steinem was defending Islam. Oh, God. Uh, And it was just incredible. Now, Bill Maher's got to be a funny guy. He ended it with a joke. But Gloria Steinem's point is, uh, Mohammed was uh, uh, an advanced feminist himself because he married his first wife was smarter than him, and she was a real estate agent, okay? And that kind of absolved Islam from that. From oh, many. my and, God. Then, and, then, and then Bill Moore says, oh, she must have worked for 8th Century, um, what is it, 8th Century? Uh, 8th something, Century
0: something. 21 or
1: something, yeah. 8th, <laughs> yeah, 8th Century 21, yeah, and then everybody laughs. But the subject was dropped. And uh, But anyway, the point here is, uh, Gloria Steinem, as an arch-feminist, feminism gets kicked to the side of the road in the march of Marxism, okay? Marxism goose-steps along in history, and feminism played its part, but now it's kicked aside. And Gloria Steinem goes right along with it because she's first and foremost a Marxist, okay? Yeah. A feminist way down uh, the, the list.
0: No, yeah, and, okay. and, and, here, and here's, the, here's the thing too, right? Of course, what are they doing? They're comparing Hillary to Merkel. And oh. yeah, Merkel's, Merkel's a contemporary. Okay, fine. But why not bring in some of what Thatcher did and Thatcher's road to success? Why? Because she's not a leftist. So yeah. that's why they wouldn't discuss her in this deep dive think piece from New York Times. So, yeah, we have to take all this stuff with a grain of salt. It's, it, these right. pieces, and, these
1: uh, pieces can give yeah. you
0: valuable information. They can get you thinking. But you certainly have to open your mind to a wider universe than the one the New York Times gives you. Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, regarding Facebook, that guy Zuckerberg is an ardent, ardent statist. I mean, he's a he's an arch-socialist. He wants a guaranteed income for everybody, he wants to run for president, so that's his mindset when he's dealing with other status, communists or whatever. you know, he just but I, know,
0: I, like think, I think I think he would prefer uh he would prefer not to censor he I think he he would earnestly not want this censorship going I, on. You know,
1: but he's such a status. I don't think he has any philosophical uh views on the subject.
0: It's yeah, a, I don't
1: I don't know enough it's to say. I don't him. I don't know
0: enough to say, right? So, because I yeah. I don't know enough to say, I tend to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I just think that he is at least very naive in certain ways. Yeah. And he's obviously a genius in other ways. I mean, how does this guy learn Mandarin as an adult? Yeah. I have mm-hmm. no idea. Now he's got his wife, okay? So, he's able to yeah. speak it at home, but that seems like a huge challenge. And of course, you know, he created Facebook as a student at Harvard, so genius material there as well. So yeah, I tend, I tend to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I, yeah. at the same time, do I think he's potentially dangerous as somebody who's naive about certain philosophical truths? Yes. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, all these guys, uh, Bezos, uh, Warren Buffett, Bill mm-hmm. Gates, uh, the Apple guy, they're all uh, Socialists—they all made their fortunes under capitalism, and as mm-hmm. per classic libertarian theory, they become socialists after they make their money. Why? To, to <sighs> keep out uh, new competitors, I guess. You think? It's, it's, have you noticed that?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I'm tending now to want to learn more about Apple because, like I said, some of the recent policy statements that they've put out have have disappointed me as well. Yeah. I'm going to zoom on to my my other topics okay. to stay on track, though, John. Thank lot. you so much for calling, and, we'll, and we will talk again. So let's zoom over to the blog, like I said, and, and I've got fantasy news for you. And what am I talking about with fantasy news? got a couple tweets for you. It turned out it was just inspired by this one tweet that I put out today. And the reason was that I saw a story in Washington Post that was reacting to Trump's tweet from yesterday Trump had this tweet yesterday and let me run over to Twitter so I can give you the full the full tweet this is what he said he said I spoke with President Moon of South Korea last night asked him how rocket man is doing long gas lines forming in North Korea too bad exclamation point that's your tweet Most people were commenting about the nickname for uh, Kim Jong-un, which is Rocket Man. And, you know, of course, Rocket Man, those of us who know Elton John, we start thinking about the song. And then um, uh, Ben Shapiro had this one going back. I would do Fat Man, Little Boy. Now, for me, if I was going to make up some name for Kim Jong-un, I would just call him Haircut haircut but rocket is funny because there he there are these rockets and he wants to make fun of rocket i don't know whether this is the proper strategy for keeping us safe to mock this leader with the nicknames and the stuff he's certainly worthy of mocking yes you know let's go ahead he's deserving of mocking and it is kind of funny so that's cool but what about the long gas lines you know he said long gas lines for me north korea too bad I wouldn't have had a response to it because I don't know what's going on in North Korea. And I think it's pretty hard to know what's going on in North Korea. But Washington Post has a story. They found out what's going on in North Korea. And apparently there are not long gas lines forming in North Korea. So what is Trump talking about? And I had a couple of people saying, well, how could there even be? gas lines for me in North Korea because they don't have enough cars in North Korea because it's a communist dictatorship. It just shows you this guy is ignorant. I guess he knows that there's certain sanctions being carried out against North Korea and he's inferring that there must be long gas lines but he has no sense of the actual reality and he has no sense of what even could be the reality because under a communist dictatorship they wouldn't have the long gas lines because they don't have enough cars and It's just funny. And so it's this fantasy. He fantasizes that the sanctions that he's helping to make sure or put in place against North Korea are having a detrimental effect without any contact with reality whatsoever. So instead of fake news, which is how I tweeted it this morning, I asked, is this tweet fake news? And I put a link to the Washington Post story saying, no, there really are not these gas lines. I should have said it's, Fantasy news. In his fantasy, he says, you know, that certain sanctions should be in place, and then suddenly they're having this big effect. But there's another thing that he did this weekend that also ties into this little part of my title, fantasy news. And it's this tweet that he put out on the 16th, which I believe was Saturday. Yes, Saturday was the 16th. Trump writes this on Twitter. He says, A great deal of good things happening for our country. Jobs and stock stock market, jobs and stock market at all time highs, and I believe we'll be getting even better. So the jobs in the stock market are at all time highs, and he believes they're gonna be even you know getting even better. And I tweeted back to him at the time on Saturday, I said, you know, can you let us know what this belief is based on, you know, what your beliefs based on. I say, is it, you know, raising the debt ceiling? And of course, raising the debt ceiling is something that makes you think that in the long term, our economy is going to tank because eventually all the bubble of the debt ceiling is going to burst and stuff. Is it increasing taxes on the rich to make the envious feel better? That's what's going to make the economy do well. Of course, if you increase taxes on the rich, you're actually going to shut down the economy to a certain extent. So, you know, what's my message to Trump? That to the extent that the policies that you're implementing are anti-economy or they're maybe short-term bubble-type policies because, they're, you know, you make the envious feel better, they'll go out and spend more money for a short term, maybe get you reelected Donald Trump, and that's it. It's a fantasy. He's got a belief in his head. He's going to tweet about his belief. And everyone's supposed to feel really confident because Donald Trump believes this and what, go out and spend money and boost the economy? It it is. It's fantasy news. So that was my fantasy news. Another bit of fantasy news, apparently Milo Yiannopoulos is engaged in some sort of fantasy because he's got his free speech coming up, his free speech week. He declared it to be free speech week at Berkeley. It's coming up on the 24th or something. And, The Chronicle of Education is right. The Chronicle of Higher Education is right. In this article, they have announced as part of a list of speakers who are going to be part of this free speech week, people who have not agreed to be at that event. And one of them that they quote at the beginning here is Charles Murray. Charles Murray, you know, is a right wing, you know, author and and, uh, I think even academic as well Murray is. And he was, he was the one who was going to speak at Middlebury, and, you know, he suffered a lot of vigilante censorship activity from the Antifa types there at Middlebury, and we've talked about that in the past. So Murray would be someone that you would like to have included in your free speech week, but apparently it's entirely, entirely fantasy, the idea that Murray would be as one of the speakers in the free speech week. This is a quotation from Murray per the Chronicle of Higher Education. He says, the inclusion of my name in the list of speakers was done without my knowledge or permission. He wrote this in an email to the Chronicle and he added this. He says, quote, I will add that I will never under any circumstances appear at an event that included Milo Yiannopoulos, end quote. And then he was asked why, you know, why won't you appear with Milo? And he said this, quote, because he is a despicable a-hole. I won't even say the word because this is supposed to be PG-13 content or something like that on my show. That's what Murray said about Milo. Now, myself, I have had a little bit of a falling out with Milo. I've told you about that. I think he's done some very tasteless, tasteless things. And so I find that kind of funny, but if I don't have any reason to doubt that the Chronicle of Higher Education is saying this, that Milo has announced as included in speakers in the free speech week, people who have no knowledge or permission to have their names included there. You know, here's Murray's name included, and he says it was done without his knowledge or permission. That's terrible. If you're announcing, that's fraud. So, to a lower rung of something, some sort of purgatory is where Milo is, unfortunately. It's a, it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing that, that Milo is over there. So, that finishes my little segment on fantasy news. Tim in the chat room says, I would never attend an event with Charles Murray. Okay. But, if you, why would you announce Charles Murray if Charles Murray was not going to be there? Statement, Berkeley's war on free speech Here's real news that should be fantasy We've got some other stuff going on here in the chat room One thing for sure People who are here in the chat room during the live show Are getting also more content than I'm delivering Or could even bring into into my consciousness during the entire show Um, Rocketman Yeah, funny, funny fantasy news news that you wish was true yeah that's news that trump wants to make true simply by and and, you know this is what occurred to me when i was looking at this with trump this idea of primacy of consciousness those of you who studied some philosophy and in particular objectivist philosophy the term primacy of consciousness is you know a big jargon term but what does it mean it means that you the content of your consciousness as having primacy over existence over reality, what's in the real world, and you know what what is Shapiro put out there? Yes, facts don't care about your feelings. facts don't care about your opinions either or beliefs, whatever it is that. Trump believes isn't necessarily going to come true about the economy. This idea that he just say, well, I believe it's going to get better. Well, belief based on what some of the policies that he's pursuing right now deals with the Dems, raise the debt ceiling, higher taxes on the rich, that is not going to help fuel growth in our economy. But hey, he believes it. So there's that. Um, you know, the, the long lines there, that sort of thing. And it is, it is a fantasy. To announce speakers who would be an excellent contribution to a free speech week, somebody who has encountered vigilante censorship activity at at Middlebury, that would be a good person to include in the week. And if you're publishing a list and you've included that name, that's not a good thing. So So it's fantasy. Milo has not announced that Charles Murray is attending an event. That would be fantasy news. So you're saying that the Chronicle of Higher Education is lying about it. Is that right, Tim? So then we're going to have to go back and question the Chronicle of Higher Education piece and the the piece on which they were doing the interview of, of Murray. Okay, so we're going to have to go back and get to the bottom of this. That's something we're going to follow up with after this show because I've got about 10 minutes left here. We're going to have to look at that. So people, come back over to the blog at don'tletitgo.com and we're going to see what the Outcome of this is because here's um, oh, and this, yeah, this is something actually different. So, yeah, that's a different story. I want to um, get back over to the program notes. Let me get back to the program notes at don'tletitgo.com and get through the rest. I've got pop up ads everywhere harassing me. Supposedly there's going to be a new release of Safari that's going to save me from some of these various ads that I've been going through. So what have we got for some good news here? Oh, I've got some good news, but first I have bad news in terms of free speech, and we could have added this and the list of Fs in my alliterative F title. Surrender, Middlebury College cowers to heckler's veto in new speaker policy. This is an article just released from the Daily Wire on Friday, the Middlebury College Provost, just got a pop-up ad. Uh, Susan Baldridge sent an announcement to the community outlining new interim policies regarding future speaking events at the Vermont-based liberal arts institution. Middlebury is a very, uh, you know, well-known, esteemed language arts institute, as I recall it. Uh, my mother had an acceptance from them at one point. To go study foreign language there was a big deal. So written as a response to Charlottesville, Baldridge stated that it was imperative to create policies to properly plan events that could be construed as inviting potential violence. Here's the policy. Until, until it's replaced or superseded, the following procedures will be in effect. Those who are scheduling events will be required to submit an event reservation request at least three weeks prior to the event date. So a long time. Students, faculty, and staff seeking to make room reservations for events will, beginning in September, have to be asked on the submission form whether the event special considerations or security concerns. Student groups scheduling events will be required to confirm that they've consulted with a group of faculty or staff advisor. Then those requests will be reviewed weekly by staff from student activities, event management, and communications to identify any events that are a likely target of disruption, threats, violence or other acts of intimidation or are likely to draw unusually large crowds. If there is this credible likelihood I'm going as fast as I can based on prior incidents, etc the threat assessment and management team will conduct a risk assessment of the event. Consulting with local law enforcement as needed in order to advise. Representatives from campus safety, et cetera, will review the risk assessment, determine resources or measures that might be necessary to ensure that the event can proceed without undue risk. In, and then they say six, in those exceptional cases where the review indicates significant risk to the community, President and senior administration will work with event sponsors to determine measures to maximize safety, and mitigate risk. Only in cases of imminent and credible threat to the community that cannot be mitigated by revisions to the event plan, would the president and senior administration consider canceling the event? End quote. So listen to this. It's not because of a incitement to violence in the content, right? Because if there is an incitement of violence in the content that would be presented at a proposed event, of course, they should not allow that to happen. That would be wrong. It's a violation of law. Anything short of an incitement of violence, they need to have take place and they need to have local police or whoever it is, provide whatever protection is necessary to do this. They are allowing a little wedge in here a little wedge in here to actually make sure that the principle of freedom of expression is not being applied in our university. Okay. So this is terrible, terrible news for freedom of expression that that's the policy that they come out with. You would think that Middlebury would learn based on its experience that is, you know, crucial to hold up freedom of expression, but You know, when the better professors at that university were coming out with statements in favor of, for example, allowing Murray to speak there, et cetera, they were not doing, you know, this on principled grounds. They were doing it a lot more pragmatically. And so it's not surprising that you get this, well, we're going to have freedom of speech here, but every so often we're going to have to cancel an event because it's just too risky. That is quite disappointing. What other things do we have here? Oh, and a bit of good news. Again, this could have been included in the alliterative show title because it's FERC. This is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. The Federal Energy Energy Regulatory Commission under Donald Trump is apparently overruling some of the state government's denials of, for example, example, you know, a permit for a gas pipeline. So under a Trump administration we are seeing the Federal Regulatory Commission, the Energy Regulatory Commission, make sure that the market for energy is more open, more free, that there are fewer restrictions on the construction of pipelines and everything else. The way that Stephanie Gutman who is an expert on the energy market the way that she put it when she posted this on on Facebook she said what you're seeing here is you're seeing the Trump administration battling the old Obama administration policies that you're seeing in a more open market energy policy out there and that's wonderful that's good news to see so kudos to Trump for whatever he is doing that. I wish he was doing it in a principled way. He's probably doing it in a you know, more pragmatic fashion, but it's good to see it. Bad news. When a person files a Freedom of Information Act request, it turns out that one of the things that might come as a consequence of filing a Freedom of Information Act request is the government agency suing you. The government agency suing you. That would be horrible, right? And yet that is what's happening. Government has unlimited funds. You are a little nonprofit or an individual trying to get some information from the government because you think that your rights have been violated. So you file your Freedom of Information Act request in order to try to protect your rights, see what your government is doing. And that government, with its unlimited funds stolen from you through the tax dollars, they're going to come around and sue little you, little nonprofit, little individual, whatever. Horrible news. Uh, Thanks to Rob Abiera for telling us about it. Another piece of bad news, a migrant who raped and killed a European Union official's daughter cries in court because he's telling the court that drowning this girl Destroyed his life, the scumbag. One example, and in any event, yeah, there is no way that we should in our country be funding the bringing here of refugees again with our tax dollars. Money stolen from you is currently being used by our government to help fund the bringing of refugee populations here, refugee populations that could have some of these you know, migrants who who might rape and kill or do other horrible things. Even in Trump's own budget, funding for 50000 uh, A funny piece, Schumer on Hot Mike says, Trump likes me, you can hear it yourself. Trump likes us, he likes me at least, the Democrats. He's very happy about the fact that Trump likes him. A bit of good news, European court has sided with an Italian farmer Is growing GM crops uh, Genetically modified crops In contradiction to Italian law So the European court is Protecting the rights of the farmer We might pick that up a little bit next time Because it's a little bit complicated Because you've got EU over the Italian government And we might need to flesh that out a little bit more So maybe we'll talk about that next time Republicans are demanding another vote To repeal the Affordable Care Act I don't know if anything's going to come out of this at all But we'll follow that story As well Check out a French song to finish off the alliterative title. There's a French song, Chaos of Myself. It's, it's half French anyway. I have no idea what it means. Enjoy it. It's catchy. And I will talk to you guys Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific. Like I said, we'll pick up with a couple of stories that I had to rush through, and we'll continue on with more fun. Thanks for listening. Take care.